You can now get two free audiobook downloads and a 30-day free trial at audible.pagosity.tv. Your choice from the world's largest selection of over 180,000 digital audiobooks and spoken word content for your iOS or Android device, Kindle, or MP3 player. Go to audible.pagosity.tv now. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of May 14th, 2017. The podcast that offers extended warranties on fried chicken. This is your host, Shane Killian, and please welcome to the podcast a new co-host, Hoodie Demon. What's up? You're coming through great, Hoodie. The Skype connection down there in hell must be really good. Yeah, it's surprisingly good, although it is hell, so it's not like it's cheap. Yeah, but I guess it's the proximity to Microsoft. Yeah, it's true. They are right down the street. At least they're real main HQ. Let's corpusculate the news of the bogus. Let's indeed. And if you need any more proof that so-called environmentalists are really neo-Luddites, just look at their opposition to autonomous cars. Now, their excuse is that autonomous cars mean more cars on the road, but a report by independent research group Rethink X says that exactly the opposite is the case. They're predicting that 60% of vehicles on the road will be autonomous about 10 years after government allows them, but each of those cars will be replacing multiple private vehicles, which could mean something like 44 million fewer cars on the road. Uh, I really fail to see how that's a bad thing in any way at all. I mean, isn't that much better for the environment to begin with? Absolutely, especially if you consider that a lot of these are electric vehicles, so... Yeah, and if they automatically drive themselves, have you seen some of the safety innovations that have been made in cars recently, like how they shy away from lanes that are more crowded? So how would automatic cars result in any more accidents? Yeah, and it's something we're kind of going to slowly. I think we have been for a long time because we've had, like, automatic gearboxes and cruise control, anti-lock brakes, and we're just keeping going with that with things like lane assist and automatic parking and things like that. And it also seems to me that you're not going to have people, like, doing the sudden starts and stops and things like that, the things that really waste the gas. Yeah, exactly. And you're not going to have those idiots that go through green lights and then slow down as they approach the green lights just in case, you know, the 1 in 100 chance someone's going to run the red light and cause everybody behind them to crash. Yeah. The report also predicts fewer new cars being built, less of a need for auto insurance and repair shops, and even a reduction in oil usage. Yeah, and, you know, then we won't have to go over to the Middle East and get more oil, you know, but, like, that's really going to change. <laughs> But one big thing that could get in the way of this is government, especially in the form of new environmental regulations. I didn't see that coming at all. <laughs> could have made money on that one. According to the EPA, transportation accounts for 27% of greenhouse gas emissions. The Department of Energy predicts that self-driving cars could reduce transportation energy consumption by 90%. Or increase it to 250%. Way to zero in on it there, guys. Yeah, I know. It's like, it, it's either going to make it, you know, next to perfect, or it's going to bring about an XK class end of the world scenario. Like, you might as well just come out and say that. Yeah, somewhere in between those. <laughs> Pretty big error bars. This is top quality science here. <laughs> yeah. Of course, self-driving cars already have an unimpeachable safety record. 40,200 lives were lost in motor vehicle crashes in 2016. That's up 6% from 2015 and 14% from 2014. The financial cost in 2016 came to over $430 billion. 
The current figures have driverless cars reducing road accident deaths by 90%, but most of the rest of that 10% happens because there are still human drivers on the road. When most cars are autonomous, that should drop tremendously and may even be a thing of the past when all the cars are autonomous. Yeah, and not to mention, in a country that has... It's something like, what, 1.7 cars per household on average in America? Let's assume one person in the country owns one car. That's 320 million cars. That's remarkable if it's only 40,000 deaths per year on average. Well, and I think a lot of the idea is you're not really going to own your car anymore. Just when you need to go somewhere, you'll pick up your phone and use an app to summon a car, and then it'll come by and pick you up, and you go off on that. Yeah, that would be a much more, it seems a lot more efficient. So, of course, if it's going to be much more efficient and much better for everyone, leave it to the government to step in the way of that. Yeah. But it also means things like less parking areas that you'll need. And that's one thing that's really contributing to a lot of problems, not only land use, but also environmental as well. Yeah, that's true. That's really true. You know, I was actually having a conversation about this on Twitter. Um, one of the biggest impacts on the environment right now is carbon dioxide, you know, stuff getting emitted from cars. One of the biggest fear-mongers in government is the idea of switching over to nuclear power and the idea of nuclear meltdowns. What I would love to see with this is some way to make cars run on their own version of nuclear power in a safe way, obviously. I really doubt that'll happen, but hopefully, you know, we can actually get some more nuclear plants going, especially if we can get the public behind thorium power, but time will tell. Yeah, I agree with that one. I don't think it'll happen either, but... A demon can dream. I, I just keep saying that if you're against nuclear power, I don't want to hear a word you have to say about global warming. You've you've lost all right to speak on that issue as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I completely agree. And not to mention, most of the people who are against nuclear plants don't bother wearing their seat belts. That's weird. Yeah, it's like, how, if you're not going to protect yourself from immediate danger, why are you barring everybody else from something, you know, that might potentially happen someday? Uh, I don't know. Say, if you're tired of the promos in this podcast, well, the patrons got it early and with no ads or promos. Just go to patreon.bogosity.tv and donate at any level. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. Now, for those of you who are wondering when we were going to launch another attack on Britain's wonderful socialist healthcare system, sit back and enjoy, because the time is now. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of joy in this story, only tragedy and outrage. Charlie Gard is an infant suffering from mitochondrial depletion syndrome, 
This is a rare genetic disorder which results in lower cycling of nucleotides, which means the ability of cells to reproduce is to some degree inhibited. Apparently, baby Charlie has a pretty severe case of it and isn't expected to live much longer. He currently needs a ventilator to stay alive. The parents want to try an experimental procedure called nucleoside bypass therapy. It's basically a medicine that can help cycle nucleotides without going through the intermediate nucleoside stage, which is where this disorder kicks in. Although it's been used successfully on infants with other similar disorders, it hasn't yet been tried on a baby with this form of mitochondrial depletion syndrome, so it's classed as experimental. So the NHS told the child's parents they weren't allowed to have it, and see, this is the flip side of socialized medicine. Government decides for themselves what treatments are warranted and which ones aren't. Yeah, and letting the government be the arbiter of who gets treatment versus who doesn't, I think that's the only argument anyone ever needs against any sort of socialist healthcare system or universal healthcare system, whatever you want to call it. Now, in fairness to the NHS, even if the procedure works, it won't be a panacea, there won't be a long, normal life for baby Charlie, he'll be mentally disabled permanently, and he probably won't live past age 12, but who knows what other treatments might be developed during that time. That's true. Science is an exponential growth rate, so maybe we'll discover some sort of miracle cure in that time. So baby Charlie's parents found a doctor in America willing to do the procedure. The total cost will be 1.2 million pounds, which is about one and a half million dollars. They raised more than that amount on GoFundMe. Well, guess what? The NHS and the British courts stopped the family from getting the treatment in America even though they raised the money to do it. But no, it's okay, Shane. They have universal health care. They're going to take care of it. The court appointed Victoria Butler Cole to make the decision as to the baby's treatment, completely undermining the rights of the parents. She said that it would, quote, prolong the process of dying. Isn't that what every medical treatment does? Yeah, I mean, if you're not prolonging the process of dying, you're erasing it. There's really no in-between, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Quote, It is not in Charlie's best interest to travel to America. This is not pioneering or life-sustaining treatment, but a purely experimental process with no real prospect of improving Charlie's condition or quality of life. You know, maybe the pharmaceutical companies could borrow her crystal ball. It would save a lot of money actually testing to find out if new procedures work. Yeah, no kidding. When I read this story, I think it can be perfectly summed up with a quote from George Carlin. He was talking about how humans are the only species that could create a scenario where they have tobacco, which kills half a million people every year, and people start a riot to ban artificial sweeteners because a rat died. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's how off-base their focus is here. Yeah. Baby Charlie's mother, Connie Yates, told the court, quote, Charlie has one shot one chance of life. Without this treatment, Charlie's only alternative is death. Charlie deserves his chance to improve and get a better quality of life. But Justice Francis ruled against the parents, saying, quote, I have to say, having heard the evidence, that this case has never been about affordability, but about whether there is anything to be done for Charlie. I dare say that medical science may benefit objectively from the experiment, but experimentation cannot be in Charlie's best interests unless there is a prospect of benefit for him. I find that it is in Charlie's best interests that I rule the Great Ormond Street Hospital may lawfully withdraw all treatment, save for palliative care, to permit Charlie to die with dignity. Die with dignity, my ass. Oh, I hate that phrase. 
So do I. Because that's the thing. If they remove the ventilator, he's dead. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, even if this treatment doesn't work for him, they even admitted it could benefit medical science and possibly could stop other people from suffering in the future. But no, let's not do that. And instead of having a chance of him getting better, let's make it so that we're positive he's going to die. Yeah, let's make sure the parents know for a fact that they're not saving college money, they're saving coffin money. Yep. Now, Francis ruled that the doctors could turn off life support on April 11th. Don't worry, baby Charlie's still alive because the court said they have three weeks to appeal, during which time baby Charlie will be kept on life support, although his condition only worsens as time goes on. I don't even know what to say to that, man. I'm at a loss for words. Uh, I mean, it's beyond reprehensible. You've got this socialist healthcare system claiming ownership over your baby. You do not get to make the decisions. I mean, it's one thing if they were just refusing to do it themselves, but to stop the parents from paying to have it done elsewhere? Yeah, the free market at this point is basically jumping up saying, wait, I have something that might be able to save your baby, and the government is throwing a barrier in front of them. And it's especially horrific when you consider the NHS's position on euthanasia, quote, both active euthanasia and assisted suicide are illegal under English law. Depending on the circumstances, euthanasia is regarded as either manslaughter or murder and is punishable by law with a maximum penalty of up to life imprisonment. Assisted suicide is illegal under the terms of the Suicide Act of 1961 and is punishable by up to 14 years in prison. But killing a mentally disabled infant? A-okay, apparently. Yeah, at this point, they're not even letting him die painlessly. They're going to say, we're going to make sure we draw out his suffering as long as possible. Yeah. And that would be like saying, you hit something with your car, what do you do? Do you put a bullet in its head to kill it peacefully, or do you let it suffer? I mean, it's your fault in the first place that this guy is going to die anyway, so you might as well just let him go peacefully. But they can't do that because euthanasia is illegal, but they can't save his life either because he deserves to die with dignity. And this is the side that, remarkably, I hear nothing about when I hear statists argue for a universal health care system. Well, I guess you really can't blame the NHS or the courts, considering that there aren't any other children you can point to who have had this done to see how well they... Oh, wait, you can! Arthur Estopian believes that his six-year-old son, Arturio, who also has a mitochondrial depletion syndrome, would be dead by now if it weren't for the same procedure. In fact... He was the first in the U.S. to receive it, so his father said of baby Charlie's plight, quote, We feel very fortunate to be American and not British, because if we lived in the U.K., Arturio would surely be dead by now. We are beyond shocked that doctors in the U.K. are saying Charlie should die with dignity. How insensitive when there is a treatment which could save Charlie's life and eminent doctors in the U.S. who are willing to help him. See, this is no longer a hypothetical. It's status that want a free healthcare system. I'm like, you are literally handing the power to the government to be the arbiter of who gets treatment and who doesn't, as well as what treatments they can and cannot get. Do you seriously not see anything wrong with that scenario? And of the ruling, he said, quote, Olga and I didn't believe it. Like Chris and Connie, we too desperately scoured the internet and eventually after stumbled across the nucleoside drug therapy. There was no guarantee it would work, but after being told by so many doctors there was nothing we could do at all, it was hope. We were also warned that these medications might cause side effects, but as Arturio's only alternative was death, we didn't see any harm in trying it. We saw a difference in our son in just three months. Before the therapy, he'd been unable to move his fingers or toes, 
but after several months he could move his hands and feet. He was also more alert and awake. It was amazing to see our little boy coming back to us. There were no side effects either, and after a year on the experimental medications, he was well enough to come home. He has a great life. We take him to the zoo, to Broadway shows, the beach, and movies, and we see the joy on his face. He is also getting stronger. Arturio's mouth muscles are stronger now so he can smile. He also tries to lift his left arm, which is amazing considering he was unable to move before the treatment. When we look at our son, we know we definitely made the right decision. And if you want to know what this mentality does to ordinary people, let me throw some brick bats at people in the comments in this Sun article I've linked to. Elizabeth Hurst, shame on that couple climbing on their high horse. It is frankly none of your business to tell Charlie's parents what to do. Yeah, that's the government's job. Yeah, basically. Why are libertarians demonized for being the only political group on the planet that does not give government a free pass on the concept that it's not okay to force your way of life on people who don't agree with it? I don't know. Because that's exactly what the government is doing right now to Charlie. Absolutely. Then you have Dog Breath, quote, The parents who are barking mad need to employ a medical team and all the equipment and take the nipper stateside where no doctor will treat him anyway, but at least he's off the NHS respirator. They have a doctor, dog breath. Yeah. And then there's Stoney, quote, Anyway, let's stop appealing to the emotional arguments in this case and go with the facts. The poor mite has irreversible brain damage and the so-called cure has never been tested on animals or humans, and even the expert has said it's uncharted territory. Way to not read the article, Stoney. It has been tested on animals, and that very story he was commenting on is an example of it being used on a child with a similar syndrome. Yeah, like, did you even look, dude? Quote, Plus the argument that because someone is facing an almost guaranteed death, not almost, it is guaranteed, you may as well subject them to anything is the most unethical thing I've ever heard, and precisely why the courts need to get involved. Okay, that dog-like obedience to authority, combined, he's taking the death and he's trying to play it down, and then he's taking the treatment and he's trying to play it up as if it's the worst thing that ever happened, and then it's coupled with this dog-like obedience to authorities. It's like they said in a Doctor Who episode, if you could decide who lives and who dies... That would make you a monster. And that's exactly what the government's job is to do. And socialized healthcare only adds to that. And finally, we have Steve Kimberly, quote, That boy looks like he has a terrible quality of life. They're talking about the six-year-old in the story I just read. Charlie was shown on every medical document that he is terminal, and even if he had the treatment, the likelihood is that he would still die or live such a low quality of life it would not be worth putting that poor boy through the suffering. Yeah, like, why don't we just kill all mentally disabled babies? Eugenics for the win! Yeah, it's like he, he might someday still die, so let's just take away every single shot at happiness this poor little guy has. Let's just kill him at a young age. He goes on, quote, I don't care that these Yanks think they know any better, and frankly, I'm glad they don't live here, too. Yeah, they think they know better, unlike our judges and NHS officials who actually do. Yeah, I don't care if you've got facts. I've got emotions and fifis. I mean, people, do you really not see why we have a problem with the mentality behind socialized medicine? Yeah, people know what's best for themselves. Nobody knows what's best for anyone else. Oh, and 
shameless self-plug, if anyone wants to hear more about this, in a couple days I'm going to be releasing a video with a full economic breakdown as to why socialized healthcare is a bad idea. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. So we've talked about two-factor authentication. This is where after typing in your password, you type in a number or something from your phone or whatever, meaning someone would have to get physical access to that device to log in as well as getting your password. One way of doing that is by texting the number to you. We've talked before about how insecure that is and how NIST is actually recommended against it. Now the warnings have come to fruition. SS7, the mobile data network that does the text, is so flawed it makes this technique completely broken. So quick brickbat at this motherboard article for a clickbait headline saying 2FA is screwed. No, it's not. It's just texting the code that's broken. We've talked about time-based authenticators like Google Authenticator and Authy. Those are still fine. Anyway, a German newspaper has reported that hackers successfully used these flaws to gain access to bank accounts, which they then drained of all funds. It's just too easy to intercept SS7 texting and redirect the messages to another device, and that lets the hackers steal login codes and greenlight money transfers. If I've learned anything from living in America, it's that the obvious solution to this is a government backdoor into all encryption. <laughs> of course. We've had plenty to say about that in the past, too. And none of this is new, considering it was demonstrated at the Triple C Hacking Festival in 2014. Senator Ron Wyden and Representative Ted Lieu demonstrated the vulnerabilities, and the FCC has even reported on the problem. And the thing is, there doesn't seem to be any way of fixing these flaws. SS7 is this kludge built on top of the mobile network with no security in mind. What we need to do is just stop using texting as the second factor. Are you listening, PayPal? Yes, thank you. Oh my god. Should it not, why, is there really any reason not to just encrypt it based on, like, a, on a case-by-case -case basis? Well, that's what the time-based authenticators do, because when you set it up and you scan that QR code, there's a random number there that is a shared secret between you and the server, and no one else can get it unless they can manage to grab that QR code, too, but once that page is closed out, that can't happen, and so what they do is they combine that with the current time, uh, actually, every 30-second period of time, and that's why every 30 seconds you get another number, and then you just type in that number. Nothing has to communicate between your phone and the server or anything like that. You just type in that number. Yeah, but Shane, that doesn't give the government access. But even the government's saying not to use it. NIST came right out and said, don't use this. 
Yeah, it's because they've learned their lesson with Snowden. <laughs> we live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now. And now it's time to recombobulate this week's biggest bogan emitter. And this week it goes to John Oliver for his comments about net neutrality, which we've talked about before. Generally, both proponents of net neutrality and people taking a more libertarian view, like myself and Robert Graham, who wrote this Errata Security article I'm linking to, we all agree on the facts. We agree on what the problems are. We agree that they're problems. We only disagree about what the solution should be. The libertarian solution is break up these monopolies and let the free market work, as opposed to giving government the authority to regulate the Internet. But John Oliver has taken to misinformation to make his case. Graham writes, quote, For example, he says that without net neutrality, Comcast can prefer original shows it produces and slow down competing original shows by Netflix. This is silly. Comcast already does that, even with net neutrality rules. Comcast owns NBC. During primetime, Comcast delivers those shows at 6 megabits per second to its customers, while Netflix is throttled to around 3 megabits per second. Because of this, Comcast original shows are seen at higher quality than Netflix shows. Comcast can do this even with net neutrality rules because it separates its cables into channels. One channel carries public internet traffic like Netflix, the other channels carry private internet traffic for broadcast TV shows and pay-per-view. All net neutrality means is that if Comcast wants to give preference to its own contents and services, it has to do so using separate channels on the wire rather than pushing everything over the same channel. This is a detail nobody tells you because net neutrality proponents aren't techies. They are lawyers and academics. They maximize moral outrage while ignoring technical details. Everyone out there, can we just please stop pretending like John Oliver ever has any idea about what he's talking about? <laughs> There's so much, like, at least 40% of every show he does is factually inaccurate. We actually praised him one time for the things he had to say about Snowden. So he does get it right occasionally. Uh, he does, but I think the Trump piece is where his entire show started to go downhill because everything in that show was wrong. And I don't even like Trump. I hate the dude. He's an asshole. But if you're going to talk about why he's hated, at least tell the truth. So another example is Google or someone like that paying to get faster access to customers. Quote, they already do that. 
The average distance a packet travels on the web is less than 100 miles. That's because the biggest companies, Google, Facebook, Netflix, etc., pay to put servers in your city close to you. Smaller companies, such as search engine DuckDuckGo.com, also pay third-party companies like Akamai to get closer to you. The smallest companies, however, get poor performance, being a thousand miles away. And he also mentioned how Verizon banned Google Wallet. The problem is that wasn't really a net neutrality thing. That was what Verizon did on their own phones. But you could always use Google Wallet on unlocked phones that you brought yourself. And Graham also points out, quote, Moreover, market forces won in the end with Google Wallet, a.k.a. Android Wallet, now the preferred wallet on their network. In other words, this incident shows that the free market fixes things in the long run without the heavy hand of governments. I actually used Google Wallet for quite a while. It was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Quote, Ajit Pai points out that Internet companies didn't do evil without net neutrality rules, and thus net neutrality rules were unneeded. Oliver claimed that this was a disingenuous comment. No, it's not disingenuous. It's entirely the point of why net neutrality is bad. It's chasing theoretical possibility of abuse, not the real thing. Sure, internet companies will occasionally go down misguided paths. If it's truly bad, customers will rebel. In some cases, it's not actually a bad thing and will end up being a benefit to customers, e.g. throttling BitTorrent during primetime would benefit most BitTorrent users. It's the pro-net neutrality side that's being disingenuous, knowingly trumping up things as problems that really aren't. And he also says, quote, The argument here is a complicated one between reasonable sides. For humor, John Oliver has created a one-sided debate that falls apart under any serious analysis. Those like the EFF should not mistake such humor for intelligent technical debate. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The dude's a comedian. He's not a political commentator. I mean, I can tell just by the way he argues for things that he doesn't know anything about economics. Yeah. I've noticed that this is kind of a pattern with statist arguments. It's like private health insurance might someday do something greedy, so let's make all healthcare free. Uh, someone might potentially someday use a gun to shoot someone, so let's ban guns. Well, when has that ever happened? Why don't you give me a step-by-step process of how this would play out and how the free market could not solve that problem easily? Now, unlike all the pro-net neutrality groups who are sending you redirection links using boilerplate pro-net neutrality posts that people have unthinkingly gone to after watching Oliver's diatribe, I'm just linking you directly to the page where you can type in whatever thoughts you want about it for or against, and look on my Facebook page if you're interested in the filing I sent. So, for cranking the net neutrality misinformation up to 11, John Oliver becomes this week's Biggest Bogani Metter. If you're going to shop online, use our special links to shop at Amazon. Clear your cookies and go to Amazon.Bogosity.tv, and you won't pay a penny more for your purchase. If you haven't used the mobile app in the last 12 months, or even at all, go to get5.bogosity.tv on your phone or tablet and get $5 off your order of $10 or more. Go to prime.bogosity.tv for a free 30-day trial of Amazon Prime and enjoy thousands of movies and TV episodes, borrow Kindle books, and get unlimited two-day shipping for free. And speaking of Kindle, go to kindle.bogosity.tv for a 30-day free trial to Kindle Unlimited, read over 1 million books, and listen to thousands of audiobooks on any device. 
You can go to music.bogosity.tv and get a free 30-day trial of Amazon Music Unlimited with access to Amazon's entire library of 10 million songs, ad-free and with unlimited skips, and even download to listen offline. All great ways to help this podcast simply by shopping at Amazon. And now it's time to show a picture of a moron to this week's Stupid school suspensions are another one of those subjects we don't cover unless they get even more stupid and extreme, and they keep doing that. Edgewood Middle School suspended a student, Zachary Bolin, not because he brought a gun to school, or drew a gun, or bit his Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun, but because he liked a picture of a gun on Instagram. That's where the real problem is nowadays. Well, Trisha, you saw the picture. It's a picture of a gun sitting on a table, and 7th grader uh, Zachary Bolin, who walks through these doors daily, happened to see the post on Instagram and liked that post. Now, this wasn't done during school hours or on school grounds. And something he mentions a bit later, the picture isn't even of a real gun. It's an airsoft. See, this just shows how horrible public school is with guns and how scared to death they are of them. At the college I go to, it's a pretty open campus. They had a drill where all the teachers and students to see how they would react if there was an active shooter on campus. Well, someone didn't get that message, so they called the police and they didn't notify the police they were having this drill. So they sent like four SWAT teams to the school because they thought there was a shooter. And when everything was all cleared up, we asked what would happen if there was. They told us someone would literally have to come to our door, like walk through it themselves and lock it from the outside. And yet they want to tell me, someone who's, you know, willing to abide by their rules and regulations, that I'm not allowed to carry a gun legally that I have a concealed carry permit for. What the hell is that? He never shared. He never commented, never made a threatening post, anything on, on the site. Just liked it. Next morning, uh, they called me down and, like, had me down and checked me for weapons. And then they told me I was getting expelled or suspended or whatever. And they give a screenshot of the note they sent home saying he was suspended. And the reason was, quote, liking a post on social media that indicated potential school violence. How does that indicate? How? It's just a picture of an airsoft gun. What's he going to do, like, print the picture and cut someone's throat with it? I was livid. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you just suspended him for 10 days for liking a picture of a gun on a social media site. But the caption concerned the school as it simply read, ready. Ready? That's it? Just because the caption said ready, you think it means what? Ready to shoot up the school with relatively harmless BBs? I'm going to make those fellow 10-year-olds pay for not paying attention to me. As opposed to ready to play with this with the neighbor's kids like they do all the time? Yeah, back in, I mean, you can't really do that anymore nowadays. You do that, you'll be shot. But back in the day, you could do that all the time. As the song says, paranoia strikes deep. It does. The younger the people in the school are, or the more people that are in the school, there should be armed security guards with guns every two feet. There's just no reason not to have them there. The only argument that I've ever heard against something like that is, uh, well, if someone starts shooting and everybody pulls out their gun, uh, nobody's going to know who the shooter is. When has that ever happened? Yeah. 
When has there ever been any question in a case like that? Yeah, and isn't there some statistic that says, like, the body count for a shooter stopped by the police is, like, four times higher than it is but someone stopped by a civilian with concealed carry or private security? Oh, it's more than that. That's uh, Davi Barker's statistics. And when stopped by police, it was like over 14. When stopped by an armed citizen, it was like 1.8. So seven times higher. Why do they not look at the trends? Are they that as scared? They cling to their preconceived notions like someone with Stockholm Syndrome clings to their kidnapper. Look at the overlying trends. Stop cherry-picking cases. It's not about that. They've got their conclusion and they want to find evidence that supports the conclusion as opposed to looking around for the evidence and seeing what conclusion should be drawn from it yeah classic marxist bullshit the superintendent released a statement to fox 19 which read in part i assure you that any social media threat will be taken serious including those who like the post when it potentially endangers the health and safety of students or adversely affects the educational process I don't even know what to say to that. How does that threaten anybody? That makes no sense. What evidence do you have other than, well, a, a kid in my school saw it? It affects the educational process when you're trying to tell them that guns are bad and the Second Amendment is bad and gun control is good. Yeah. After a talk with school administrators, the Bolins tell us the suspension has been lifted and just in time for this middle schooler to get back to pursuing his dreams. There was this thing I was going to do, like diesel from diesel mechanics, and I thought I wasn't going to be able to do that because this happened, and but it's fine now. So good. Yeah, this is, I mean, in a way, this kind of proves the free market. I mean, if people throw a big enough fit, something's going to be done about it. Now, while Boland's suspension has been lifted, the person who actually took and posted the photo remains out of school at this time. And I want you to actually take a look, because right inside the doors of the middle school here is a billboard cautioning students to think about what they're posting on social media. Boland's certainly going to think now about what he likes on social media as well. It's what he said in the conversation earlier tonight. We do also want to note that Edgewood Middle School sent an email out earlier this week telling parents of the alleged threat and notifying them not to worry that their students and their children are safe here. Yes, this is thought control. Yeah, it, it's their fault. Yeah. It's their fault the school's a piece of shit. They're not interested in educating students, but in controlling what they think even after they leave school grounds. Exactly. You know, something like this happened when I was in high school. My friend bought a knife because he, he collects them, and he posted a picture on Snapchat of it. And he was like, I've wanted this for a long time. I finally got the money to afford it. He got suspended for four days for that. We brought pocket knives to school all the time. No one cared. Oh, my God. I know. And this is at the same... I mean, my state's pretty lax about drug laws, but this is at the same state where kids bring pot to school, and the worst they do what happens is they get sent home for the day. But, I mean, here we have no indication that any administrator will even get so much as a slap on the wrist for doing this to him. They might as well just put a sign in front of every single public school nowadays that says, Welcome to government school. Open wide for your daily dose of indoctrination. Yeah. I mean, it's paranoid, controlling, and just flat-out insane. And that's why Edgewood Middle School takes this week's... Idiot up this i did plan on using this gun to take my own life if it ever came to it but as you know in the end i jumped out of a window edition of the Gossity podcast 
Come join the discussion at forumbabagosity.tv and feel free to send a question, statement, news article, or rant in text or audio to podcast at bogosity.tv. This podcast depends on you to keep going, so please donate using the links on the website or the QR codes in the thumbnail or become a patron at patreon.bogosity.tv and get the podcast and YouTube videos early and without ads or promos. Donate to this podcast or I can assure you we'll be meeting very, very soon. Thank you for listening and thanks to Hoodie Demon for joining me. Thanks for having me on. It was fun. Until next time, here's a quote from L. Neal Smith. Any politician who won't trust you with the weapon of your choice clearly cannot be trusted with the power he desires over your life. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. Want answers to creationist claims against evolution? Would you like to know more about evolution yourself, or even engage creationists more directly, with actual peer-reviewed sources to back you up? My book, How Evolution is Scientific, is designed to show the basics of evolutionary theory and how it is so well supported using the scientific method. It's impeccably sourced, with references to the actual scientific material, and is arranged using the creationists' own criteria of what is scientific. Using their own arguments against them, see how evolution is scientific, but creationism is not. Based on observations, accurate predictions, logic, and evidence. Get answers to common creationist claims, and even a primer on abiogenesis, the start of all life. It's all in my book, How Evolution is Scientific, available at Amazon and on Kindle, EPUB, and PDF as well. Get How Evolution is Scientific and never be taken in by creationists again. Here's a quote from S.J. Perlman. The main obligation is to amuse yourself. Nice.